0: This program is presented in conjunction with I.R. Bach's work, Think Big, an augmented reality project that is part of LACMA Time Snapchat Monumental Perspectives, an initiative that uses augmented reality to explore monuments and murals, representation,
1: and history. I am I.R. Bach, big. It was an invitation by LACMA and Snapchat to build a monument uh, using augmented reality technology. The idea behind this initiative was to represent uh, underrepresented ideas and ideals. It was a really nice uh, opportunity to do something that talked about what is common to, to all of us. So, the monument I, I I wanted to build was uh, to the thought process, uh, which is the tool that we all have in common and that I think is going to be our our major uh, instrument advancing as humans. Think Big consists of us five installations. One of them lights with this text that says, "See yourself in others and others in you," written. like as a filament inside an old light bulb. You light this light inside you first, and then that shines. So we all become beacons that resonate. I chose Magic Johnson Park uh, because the actual path that goes around this lake would be ideal to place the stations, a narrative that happens throughout the works.
0: So tell us what happens. You start at the beginning and...
1: The first... uh, Installation that, that you encounter is these dice that are floating around you. And, and each dice represents a circumstance. Randomness plays a role in life. We all live with these circumstances. We sometimes fail to see them as circ- circumstances and give them meaning where really they don't have any, any meaning. They're just circumstances of life. For me, it's it's the first thing that we have to overcome to really start looking at ourselves uh, from a general point of view that is more universal, more cosmic.
0: And then the second.
1: The second one is this mask that uh, basically has two options. It's 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 polar in the sense that uh, it either smiles or frowns. It's 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 actually this mass that has be traditionally been related to, to theater. So you have the comedy and, and tragedy. This dramatic view of life uh, is based on us generating narratives. We generate these stories that we need to really get out of in ter- if we want to see others and see yourself uh, from, from a more neutral perspective. Also, the, the problem with personality, which is this mask that we create for, for these narratives, is that it, it can't really change because it's, it's meant to, to generate an idea of yourself. And that doesn't really give you much room for change. So if you're able to distance yourself from this personality... Uh, traits and really look at yourself as an individual, then you allow yourself to change. There is also this basketball that becomes aware somehow. It has. It's a basketball that is also an eye, and and it, that was uh, in honor, of course, of Magic Johnson. If I, I was doing the work at Magic Johnson Park, the basketball would be the natural element to 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 move around and interact with other objects. In this installation, the basketball interacts with the clock, and the clock is really um, a representation of how the individual can change with time. It's, it's really just an emphasis on being able to see yourself changing through time and, and, and allowing yourself to, for change. You can really think of your point of view as a dynamic process to be able to change your point of view to be flexible, and, and that allows you, regardless of where you're coming from, because, you know, regardless of where, whether you're coming from one political side or the other, or, you know, just just the fact of being able to flex your point of view makes us all much, much more dynamic and, and intelligent as a collective. So interesting. There is also an, another uh, installation that involves the individual, which is represented by the basketball, looking at a, an earth globe, an old globe, typical uh, physical globe, through a protractor. And and this is about how you can within your point of view. So, so the, the more you realize, the more you within your point of view towards the world, is actually it actually translates on knowing yourself better. There is this interesting invisible cycle that goes around the, the world, the environment, the others, and yourself. And how if you know yourself better, you know the world better, and if you know the world better, you know yourself better. These objects that the individual interacts with are everyday objects, basically, very simple objects like, like dice, uh, a clock, uh, you know, a protractor, the globe, uh, the light bulb, uh, especially, which are technological objects that really are, are, uh, have become obsolete. It's a shout-out to all technology, because this work is also about relevance and how, for example, we, we give technological progress so much credit the same credit as we give to economic progress, economical progress. we We really think that if the world is has more infrastructure, has better technology, we are advancing. But I, I think that is that is a mirage that we create. We are just not understanding that what needs to be advanced is us as humans. We are fooled with this idea that uh, technology give us, gives us uh, progress. And, and it does in the technological sense, but it doesn't in the humanistic sense. Even though technology can be used for, the, for humanistic purposes, we tend to, to not see that. We, we really are conformed with, with economic and technological progress without identifying the humanistic progress that we're missing. Uh, All these mechanisms um, that are archaic uh, of how we interact with each other, like society keeps on functioning the same way that it did thousands of years ago, and and it really hasn't changed. The message here is that society is obsolete, uh, in a way. What Uh, does that mean exactly? We have to realize that we have to change. Society needs to to move to society 2.0. Uh, We're still living in Society 1.0 just with very fancy gadgets and a lot of infrastructure, but we really haven't moved. Uh, And and the the way you can see that uh, is that if you look at the state of affairs, there are things that should have changed, which is violence and and inequality and extreme poverty. Uh, For example, here in, in Los Angeles, this amazing city, that has so much to offer to the world, and so, 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 you know, such amazing things come out of this town. Yet, around the corner, you see these homeless camps, and 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 these the homelessness problem is actually growing. So, you can see that there is something um, still, there is something still that has to be fixed. There is something wrong with society that. Um, that hasn't changed regardless of any type of political or economical system, uh, the world has that problem. That tells me that we really need to see things in a different way. Technology helps us achieve better living standards. So, so we think uh, you know, things are getting better because there is economic progress or there's technology. But if you think this way, then for you, progress is inevitable. And, and that takes away the responsibility. We don't feel responsible for actually uh, changing the world. Despite
0: yeah. the fact that technology has advanced, I mean, some of these archaic aspects that you speak of, like violence or you know homelessness, have gotten much worse. So um, what needs to happen?
1: For society to be able to transform itself, it has to solve two main problems. Paradoxes. These are, for me, the most important challenges that we have as human beings. And I have identified these two, uh, two paradoxes. The first one uh, is the paradigmatic discourse. That's, that's the way I call it because it's paradigmatic because it doesn't accept change. Uh, it, it, it's, it's very stiff, and it's a discourse because it actually happens in the way of a narrative. So, basically, a paradigmatic discourse is this inability to accept and to listen to and to be open to ideas that will transform or change the way we already think. So, uh, what happens with the paradigmatic discourse is that the more embedded it is in, in your mind, then the, the the harder it is for you to open yourself. It contrives. It actually makes us very, very stiff, very, uh, very brittle at the same time, because we are living with these fixed ideas, and the moment you hear, you see, you observe, or you think something that would challenge that position, then... Your body reacts. It's almost like an uh, immune response to something that attacks you. That is actually a big problem because it, it happens collectively. Basically, the more we are paradigmatic, the more we actually try to make those around us paradigmatic. It's a really, really tough uh, situation because if you analyze the world you see how these paradigmatic discourses are battling each other in all, all kinds of arenas from politics to religion to uh, to ideas about anything uh, there are dispositions that are contradictory and they seem impossible to reconcile for example in, in any country that you travel to if you go there at the moment where there is an important election happening, it's almost funny how you talk to somebody and they will say, "Oh, these other people—they are all crazy." And I ask them, "Okay, so you really think that half of the country is crazy?" And they will say, "Yes, they are—they're—they're uh, <laughs> they're, they're nuts." And um, then you talk to the other half, and of course, they think the other half is crazy. And I—I uh, I find that perplexing. That uh, even though that happens. All the time, in every single country in the world, we still feel that way. And that is actually where where I'm getting to, which is that the paradigmatic discourse is rooted in emotion. It's rooted in feelings. So then we have to get to the feeling without being uh, uh, shut down. And the way we can do that is through thought. There is a path from thought to emotion. And that is what Think Big and, you know, what all my work is saying. There are some particular exercises, like flexing your point of view or uh, making a difference between personality and and individuality, understanding the difference between an individual and a consumer, for example. And all these things, the more we actually shine light on them, the easier they, be, they become to understand. We begin to untangle this craziness, this web of ideas that are archaic. And that's the way we can get to change our own feelings and understand our, our own emotions. The other paradox is categorical identity. That is the second paradox. And what I mean by categorical identity is that we try to find meaning through category so we give a, a categorical description of the world and ourselves a significance search for meaning through through a category is something that happens very early on being able to categorize is one of the most amazing things that language gives us the ability to think in terms of being shakespeare i think was this amazing genius that in the 17th century was able to pin it down, to be or not to be, is the most abstract way of, of, of looking at culture. I, I don't think we've, we've surpassed uh, Shakespeare uh, still in, 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 in the sense of understanding how culture works. He really nailed it because we, we live in this to be or not to be world where we categorize everything, we categorize ourselves. And that is really bound for disaster because there is always ambiguity. There is always something that slips through the cracks and there is always room for error. There is always uncertainty, uh, as small as it can be. If you say, I am this brand, I am this nationality, I am this color, or I am this gender... At that moment, you put yourself in an unreachable uh, quest to identify yourself through a category. The categorical identity is...
0: The problem with it is that when we ascribe to a particular category, Mm -hmm. we lose uh, empathy for the other.
1: That there isn't... Part of the problem with... um, Categorical identity is that in order to identify yourself, you have to actually separate from what is not that category. So that automatically creates the other. So um, that is part of the problem. So, h- how does categorical identity relate? Uh, to violence. It's not that identity is the root of violence, but that violence is channeled through identity. So for, to disregard anything that is not us is a way of stating identity by denying to be the other.
0: And so that's why categorical identity is so dangerous, because it 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 is the fuel for violence.
1: It's a channel for violence. When there is violence against old people, for example, it actually is a way of reassuring themselves that they're not old. Say, if I deny the humanity in this person because they're old, I'm, I'm actually assuring myself of being young. It's a game of, of, of contraries. It's an interesting uh, subject because it's, violence really comes from different sources in the sense that there can be frustration, there can be rage. I mean, there's there's a lot of, of things the motive, of course is behind it but then there is how that motive is given a pretext to actually be channeled out and that is where categorical identity comes into play. Categorical identity uh, works this way so it can be based on gender or ethnicity or the neighborhood across the street, uh, the poor, the rich. Any category can be an excuse for violence.
0: So how can we work against
1: this? Really, the only way out, as I see it, is through humanistic action.
0: And what is humanistic?
1: Anything that inspires uh, or provokes uh, human behavior.
0: So what does that mean? What do
1: you mean? question would be what is human it's really strange that humanhood has not been defined there are as many definitions of human as there are dictionaries which is really disconcerting because it's basically that's what we are and we haven't uh, to this day and age we haven't been able to define ourselves we haven't been able to say okay well this is what a, a human uh, being is. think about it something that the audience would be interested in, you know, I, I, I challenge uh, basically the audience to think about it, to really think what it is to be human. How do I define humanity? The way I, I see it is it's a threefold ability to think, choose, and act. Those three combined together create a uh, cycle. And this, for me, is what human behavior is. You can go about your life buying and selling and talking and coming and going. And and really, you can go about your business without actually going into human behavior. That it's not so much about human beings, but about being human. So it's really more about this thought, choice, and action that when you are along those Lines in terms of, of your behavior, it's more human you become. Of course, we're all humans. We're born as a homo sapiens species. Let's say that that could be the way our body is born. But we're also born into culture. And that's where our mind is born. There is a distinction. And, and for me, humanity is something that we have to achieve. And we have to work towards not only as individuals but also as, a, as collective so really the solution I believe is by first understanding these paradoxes and then acting differently as individuals once we're able to solve the paradigmatic discourse and the categorical identity first as individuals and then as collectives that is how we get to really be transformed as a society uh, For the better.
0: So this path, Think Big,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: the path that we're on, will that help us do that?
1: Think Big is a way to point at these blind spots, at these paradoxes, and suggest and hint at at a a possibility. Uh, For me, that's that's as far as my art goes. Of course, I, I don't pretend to have enough agency to be able to generate a transformation uh, with the art, an artwork alone. But at the same time, everything is that way. So every artwork, every, every single book that is written, every single thing that is said has an intention. And I believe that when you make a, a sufficiently coherent arch thought, then you are able to create these different ideas that sometimes are new concepts, sometimes are novel, sometimes they're not, but it's a way of really using language towards the betterment of us as uh, humans. I mean, if you think about it, we only have these couple of dozen letters, and with that couple of dozen letters... We create this plethora of words, and then there is almost an infinite way of putting those words together to create concepts, to create ideas. So Think Big gathers, it puts these ideas together and basically sends this particular message. I really just hope for the best when I do anything. And, and, and the hope here is that we are able to see these blind spots.
0: And in so doing, change the world?
1: It might sound uh, naive, of course, and uh, cliche, but I I do set out to change the world. I think we all should try. I really find it frustrating when we talk about the human condition because when you are conditioned, you cannot change. You need something to change for you. I don't believe there is a human condition. I believe we have uh, a human circumstance. As such, it can change. Circumstances can change. I really think that there is a different future and that we have a responsibility on that future, so we have to take action and we have to become aware. The symbolism in Think Big of using these objects that are somehow obsolete, old, and simple is also a poke, a wink. We already have the tools. We don't need that much sophistication. We are already sophisticated enough and we already have what we need to have in order to transform ourselves. We don't need to wait for anything, for any amazing discovery or any help from the outside. We already have it at hand. That, for me, also... Place within the symbolism of the simple objects throughout my art, not only in Think Big, but it's something that I'm always playing with. It's like we don't really need that much. We already have language. The process of thought that we are missing is not because we can't think. We think and we think a lot. It's just that deep thinking without prejudice is very difficult because it takes a lot of effort. So thinking hurts, it takes time, it takes a lot of energy. When you are thinking about your emotions, you're trying to really go deep, and you are challenging yourself. You are confronting your fears, your prejudices. There is a lot of energy involved. We really can just go so far. It's like diving without a tank. You can only be in the water for, you know, just X amount of time, you know? And it's the same here. You take a deep breath and you go and challenge yourself. And it's really a tough path. And at the same time, when you're thinking along these lines and when you're thinking deeply, one of the things that you have to do is that you have to keep all those possible scenarios at hand. So you have to have, in a way, all these possibilities, all these ideas and all these paths of thinking accessible at the same time. Think Big is about generating these exercises, basically, that are going to give you this strength and this flexibility to be able to to challenge your own assumptions, to see life in different ways. It doesn't have to be a particular way. It's just that you have to have the ability of jumping back and forth between points of view, so we oscillate. That is a strength. That is a huge uh, strength and uh, ability, just to be able to move. It really liberates you.
0: What's the power of oscillation?
1: The power of oscillation, I'll sum it up in a phrase, which is, if it oscillates, it exists. When things oscillate, it means that there is a force that allows such energy, such thing, to change, to move into one aspect. And then there is a force that brings it back and lets it be in another phase. So you have two different phases of the same thing. Everything that exists is something that oscillates. It's something that is allowed to change. Think about it. If something just changes perpetually and just keeps moving, it's nothing. Like a a leaf floating on water. But if it contrives, if something has the capacity on its own to expand and contract, it's, it's an ebb and flow, basically, but that comes from the agency of the thing itself then it exists. So if we are able to oscillate in terms of our ideas and our narratives and, and and the way we view ourselves, we view the world, and then we are actually existing. We are becoming our own agents. We we are claiming agency,
0: and that changes the world.
1: And that's going to change the world. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to A Walk in the Park. This program was presented in conjunction with Think Big, an augmented reality project that is part of LACMA times Snapchat Monumental Perspectives. This initiative is made possible by Snapchat. Additional support is provided by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. This listening experience was produced by Sound Made Public with Tani Katanjian, Claire Mullen, and Philip Wood. Special thanks to Sebastian Rodriguez for his incredible sound design. For more information about Think Big, please visit lacma.org bach. That's lacma.org b-a-c-h. Thank you for listening.